Fiction is First is pleased to present Michelle Dwyer reading Arizona in the Summertime. It's a story view, so we are going to listen to Michelle read and then have some conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. On the plane ride to Arizona, I end up sitting next to this really cool guy. Actually, I'm next to a guy who tells me he's really cool, and I'm too entranced with the barf bag in front of me to put up a fight. Come on, I'm in my 20s, and I have tattoos, he tells me. Not to sound catty or anything, but I'm the best person you could be sitting next to in this situation. I look him up and down and smile naively. The situation I'm in is roughly a six-hour plane trip from Baltimore to Tucson, and I guess it's nice to have someone to talk to. I mean, would you rather be chatting it up with that balding guy over there listening to an iPod or that woman in a stained sweatshirt yelling at her kid? I notice he's got a good point as I look toward both bleak suggestions. We are silent for a moment as the plane ascends higher into the heavens. I sigh heavy sighs and pretend to be overly thrilled with the clouds, like it's my first time flying. First time on an airplane, huh? He asks. Well, not exactly. My knuckles are white from clutching the snack tray, and I fake being nervous. Hey, are you okay? I mean, are you? He has the window seat and slides toward it in case I'm not. I casually exhale my affirmation and give him another smile. I'm fine. The cars below are beginning to look like matchbox toys, and the trees and homes from far away look like glue-on shrubs in dollhouse neighborhoods. Well, good. For a minute there, I thought you were going to spew or something. Nah, but if I did, it would be all over you. My dad is living in Arizona with my godmother, Carol, and her new husband. Her husband's name is Bob, and although he is new, he is not her second or third. He is her first and only. At 62 years old, she met a guy out of the blue and married him. It sounds romantic, but I'm not so sure. Bob is a sandwich artist and slaps meat and cheese onto subs as people order them. He has cute stories about old people coming into the sub shop with measuring tape just to make sure they're legitimately getting a foot-long sandwich. I swear to God, this little old lady whipped out a yellow tape measure in front of a whole line of people and cussed me out for cheating her an inch. He's nearly 20 years my godmother's junior. So I says to the old bag, Hey, listen, lady, I gave you extra meat. I gave you extra meat, and you got to remember that the bread shrinks when you toast it. It just shrinks a little. I'm glad my dad is out in Arizona with my godmother and the sandwich artist. I think it's good for him. When he was living at home with us, he just sat in the dark with the television and the dogs. I never wanted to play Monopoly with him, and I didn't have much time for small talk. Do you like living with Bob and Carol? I ask. Now I have deeper conversations with Dad on the telephone. Yeah, I guess Bob's an all right guy. Kind of a pretty boy, though. Carol was always gallivanting with fairies, though. The last guy she was with broke her heart, and she broke up with him because he kept borrowing her clothes. But all Carol ever wears are floral print dresses. Exactly. 
So Carol actually had been dating cross-dressers. Is that? Yeah, the women in my family, myself included, seem to be very flamboyant. So I think we all attract guys that are also flamboyant. So yeah, she had a lot of gay boyfriends. Bob's not like that, though. He's stockier. I like him all right. It must be nice to have a guy around. I bet he brings you leftover sandwiches sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But those are all mess-up orders, usually with too many pickles and onions. When Bob's not working, do the two of you while away the hours talking about all the wonderful things you used to do when you were young? Not really. When he's not looking in the mirror and eating, he pretty much sleeps most of the time. More than you? A lot more than me. A lot. If my dad has to emphasize a lot and say it twice, he must really mean it. Coming from a man who left a permanent imprint of his body on our living room couch covered in dog hair and cigarette ashes, this means everything. Dad left for Arizona on my 20th birthday. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, but it did. He didn't tear up our house and scream at our mother. He didn't say he was going out for a pack of cigarettes and hit the road jack, never come back. Cigarettes had a play in Dad's Arizona plan, but it wasn't as spiteful as walking out on his family for a case of Winston's. No, we knew he was going away. We had suggested it. Dad was sick with emphysema, and Mom persuaded him that the air in Arizona would be better for his breathing. All right. So... Did your parents get along? Because that's a pretty significant thing. This is your mother suggesting that your father go away to Arizona forever. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear throughout the piece that they did not get along. I don't know that I ever say that they fought constantly, but I tried to let the reader infer that they certainly were not pals and they weren't the best example for a happy marriage. Even though um, she, like, bought the ticket for him to go, she, like, was still doing, they were still married, right? Yeah, they were still married. So, I mean, I guess maybe she bought the ticket, but really, you know, their assets were still together. So they bought it together. But it's not like she bought him a cruise to the Bahamas. She just bought him a ticket to go away. Carol had praised the Arizona air density for years and had also moved out there to control her wheezing. She had developed asthma after decades of ripping tickets at the airline she worked for and inhaling the small particles of paper that were released after each tear. At least that's how she explained it. My birthday was an especially gray, April shower kind of day when Dad said goodbye. My sister and I drove him to the airport on our own as the windshield wipers steadily paced back and forth. Brenda Lee crooned on the radio because she was something we could all agree on, and it seemed fitting when she belted out her apologies against the rain. I love you girls. Dad looked at us sincerely. A lot of times when he said this, we would just roll our eyes, but this time we said it back. At the drop-off loop, the airport caretakers carted Dad away, in a wheelchair with his oxygen tank strapped to the back. You're 20. 
it's your 20th birthday and your sister is 17. Is that right? Yeah. And you're driving your father away and you're pretty sure that he's not coming back. I mean, I know that you talk about some of what's going on, but I just a little more insight into what's going on in that either in that car or in your mind at the time. Um, I guess it really was like melodramatic because it's raining and we're listening to Brenda Lee. I'm sorry. So sorry. And, um, I, I guess I thought he was never coming back and it really was my birthday and my mom did not go with us to the airport. She was like, I got your dad, this, plane ticket and that was kind of it and it's like wow on my birthday way to go I don't know if that was just like a good deal that day or something but um that was the last time my sister ever saw our dad but then I went to Arizona so I got to see him again but my sister did not come on the Arizona trip so that really was the last time she she saw him so I mean have you you're she knows that you went to Arizona. She knows that was the last time that she saw him. I know that you can't speak for your sister, but like you must have at some point discussed the fact that the, that the airport drop off was the last time that she saw him. I guess we never really did talk about that moment. I mean, she's read this story, my sister, and she's like, way to not put me in there that much. But I was like, I already have a colorful cast of characters. I can only fit so many people. But I mean, just the fact that he had to be in a wheelchair, which was not a regular thing, but, you know, airports, you have to stand in lines and we didn't get to go with him. Like we didn't even go inside the airport. We really did like the, they had caretakers that like carted him away. I guess we could have gone inside, but, you know, we were at the drop off loop and I didn't want to have to park and it was just going to be a whole ordeal. Not that I didn't think like he just told us not to, like, he was like, I don't want you to, it was raining and like. He was he was definitely a no fuss kind of guy. Like I don't want you to have to pay for parking, and it's going to be this whole thing. And it wasn't like we did not say this is probably the last time we're going to see you. I mean, like no one said that, so it's not like I wouldn't have paid the parking. I, you just try not to think that. You never think this is the last time you're going to see somebody. So also, you were both pretty young. It's not like I mean, twenty and seventeen is young for for having the responsibility of dropping off your father. Yeah. Does your mother ever talk about the decision to not join you? It's funny because I, we don't talk about things a lot. And I, I have said to my mom, like, you know, the whole dad situation was really a bummer and she gets very defensive and she'll say, you know, I was hurting too. And I'll be like, all right, but I was your kid and you were an adult and I was still like, you know, a child sort of. And with this, situation going on that made me feel even more vulnerable and she really wasn't there and it was just so casual like oh you're just dropping your dad off at the airport like (laughs) right it's just it's just it just might be the last time you see your dad it's it's no big deal yeah but I guess you you can convince yourself that it's casual if you just don't make a big deal out of it so me writing this story was like, I guess, us talking about it. But even when my mom has read this story, she's like, isn't Bob a nice guy? Like, she doesn't talk about the bigger picture. She's like, really? He worked at Subway? I didn't know that. Like, and I'm like, that's 
not what this story is really about. And I mean, I definitely talk about those type of things, but there's a bigger theme here. I wish he could have hopped on the back of a Harley instead. Despite his lack of strength, it would have been nice to see him punch the sky with a fist at his final departure. I would have even liked it better if he threw a beer can in our yard as he spun away forever with a mysterious and potentially dangerous motorcyclist. But in reality, Dad didn't care for motorcycles, and the only true reckless thing about his trip was that he was never coming back. He held a one-way ticket to Arizona, and although he swore up and down that he'd return after he cleared his head and his lungs, we knew he never would. So you going to visit kiddo or what? Dad planted a seed in my head when he asked me this on the phone a month later. You know what? I just might. After I give the cool guy on the airplane the benefit of the doubt, he almost ruins it by talking about a band he's in. We're called the Pornographic Whites. Dig it? I flutter my eyelashes in disbelief. I don't know if I'm cool enough to dig it or not. I thought you would. But listen, about our name. It's more than you probably realize. It's like we're not just a bunch of white guys in a band with guitars and chicks throwing themselves at us. We're talented musicians, and we actually drink a lot of white wine. We're kind of connoisseurs. That's where the white part comes in. But I guess now that I think about it, the other part of our name is strictly for the chicks. No other explanation there. He's an ER tech from Tucson, and I wonder if a guy who plays in a band affiliated with the word pornographic can really save lives for a living. For a moment, I detach myself from this ridiculous conversation to think about Bob, the sandwich artist, and my godmother's husband. I will be meeting him for the first time when my plane lands, and I just hope he can live up to his sleepy pretty boy standards. I think about how much he rests when he's in a funk as my dad describes it over the phone. Man, when that guy's in a bad mood, he can sleep for days. He's like Rip freaking Van Winkle. As I'm thinking about this, the cool guy on the airplane goes on about how he tours with his band when he can get time off work, and I suddenly interrupt him to ask him about his sleep schedule, since he's apparently a rock star and a hospital slave. Sounds pretty tiring. Do you ever take naps? Oh, hell yeah. I take naps all the time. I work weird hours, so I usually only get five hours of sleep a night. And then, after an eight-hour work shift, I come home and lay down for a bit. Then I'll go out all day, come home, take a nap for an hour, go back out, and then run home to nap again. Sounds pretty intense. It is. And you know what pisses me off the most? My bandmates are always like, dude, you're napping too much. But I know they're wrong because they sleep solid nine-hour nights when I'm only getting five. Add the accumulated three-hour nap sessions, and I'm only at eight hours. So it's like I'm sleeping less than those bastards, even though I take naps. And so what? I'm definitely alive and awake longer than most of the world. What is the significance of sleeping and napping here? Um, I was definitely depressed when all of this was going on because my dad was dying and I really didn't know that I was depressed because I always thought that depression was just like an excuse people made sometimes, I guess. And I just couldn't admit that I was, but I mean, the circumstances were pretty shitty, so I have every right 
to be sad. I had every right to be sad at this time. So I was sleeping a lot and I was going through a young romantic poet phase and I was obsessed with Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel and I was always listening to them and thinking I wasn't living my life all the way because in their songs they had all these adventures and I was like oh I'm just like sleeping it all away and I'm still so young and but I was just too sad to be awake sometimes so I would ask people about their sleep schedules a lot and they'd be like oh man I hardly ever sleep like I'm always doing this cool stuff and I'd be like god I'm such a loser so I just worried about sleeping too much and missing things. But again, I was just too sad to be awake. And and meanwhile, like this guy was, was he, he was living it up. He was, he was just so busy and working and rock starring it out and drinking white wine. And even all these years later, I mean, cause you wrote this well after the events, you still remember this guy and, and some version of his sleep schedule. I mean, I know it's not, historically perfect <laughs> yeah i'm not good with math so i don't know if the numbers add up <laughs> whenever um his his dialogue is happening but um yeah i do remember being like well this guy is a douchebag but like he embraces the world a lot more than i do and the world sees more of him because he's awake and staying up and having all these rock concerts he's awake <laughs> he's awake and staying up he's He's not just, yeah, he definitely has a lot on you if you're just mostly sleeping. He's also not flying to Arizona to see his dying father for the last time. That's true. This cool guy really likes to drive a point. When he finishes his rambling, I'm left floundering. I worry that Bob isn't alive enough because he sleeps for extended periods, and once he is awake, his life is comprised only with images of my godmother's face and my dad not leaving his lazy boy chair. Deli meat plays a role in the scenario somewhere, but that can only distract a man so much from his home life. So yeah, to answer your question, I take naps and I take them often and everyone else can eat shit. With a little luck, I'm certain Bob feels the same way. When my plane finally lands in Tucson, I feel elated to see a prickly cactus as much as I want to see my dad. Bob and Carol are waiting by the baggage claim area, and I notice them right away. They whisper to each other about the cool guy they see me coming down the escalator with, but I give them the eyes, and they stop their gossip. Is that you, Michelle? Gosh, I knew it would be. Bob is very friendly, and even though it's the first time we're meeting, I feel as though I've known him for years. There's a familiar comfort in his eyes, and I adore him instantly. Maybe it's because he's married to the woman my middle name is dedicated to, and he's been keeping my dad company lately. Maybe it's because I love sandwiches, and he makes them for a living. I don't know what it is for sure, but it seems there are a lot of factors that tie us together in the grand scheme of things. I'm too jet-lagged to really give the cool guy a proper goodbye, but he understands. We already talked for five hours straight, and there just isn't much left to say. Good luck with your band and the nap situation. I don't need luck with that. It's all in the bag. He says this as he lifts his luggage from the machine that rotates passenger bags for easy pickup. I shake my head at his masterfully timed pun, and Bob and Carol awkwardly put their arms around me. 
I make some tired jokes about the trip here and how I need to call my mom before she assumes I'm dead. Bob thinks I'm lovable and quirky already. You know, you remind me of my youngest daughter. She's a great gal and so are you. Carol, I think I'm going to really get along with this one. Bob makes me feel at ease and carries my bags like a gentleman while Carol and I play catch up. It seems like I only see her once every five years, but she always sends thoughtful Christmas presents, and that's got to count for something. Your father's been waiting to see you all day, Michelle. I thought he might even get out of that damn lazy boy of mine, which is completely ruined, by the way. Carol is a pessimistic romantic, and I nod with empathy for her and her furniture. Anyway, I guess you could say he was glowing, talking about you nonstop, it's really a good thing you came to visit when you did. I inhale her compliments and try to hold them tightly in my lungs like I'm underwater. So you gotta be starved, Michelle. You wanna grab something on the way home? I hear those taco drive through joints are practically open all night. Bob is intuitive, and although I wish he would offer to slice and dice his artistic sandwich skills on Carol's kitchen counter, I graciously accept his fast food offer. Bob sounds interesting. Give me a little bit more insight into what I'm dealing with, because I'm not 100% clear how old he is, and I've been told he's a pretty boy. But I've but we heard that from someone else, so I was wondering if you could confirm or deny that. Well, I don't want to start rumors, but I think he was a good-looking guy, and he I mentioned he was 20 years younger than my godmother, who I guess I never really gave an age. She's in her 60s. So he's in his 40s and he has kids. He had been married. I don't know the whole story, but I know that he had been married to a woman that was also like 10 years older than him. And I think it was a woman he met when he was like 16 and it was a very scandalous thing. And I think she had a kid when he was very young, but she was like an adult woman. So very bizarre. And, um, but Bob is very nice and sweet, but I can tell that there's like a sadness to him. Like as my dad said, I asked about his sleep schedule also, and he will be up and then he'll be very down and he would sleep for days. My dad said sometimes, and I guess since he like worked at Subway, they were used to people calling out a lot at the sandwich shop. <laughs> and Bob is actually, he's, he's actually a particularly attractive dude is he does he really was he really preening and like spending a lot of time on his hair no I feel like that was sort of a joke like I think because he was so much younger than everyone like my dad's in his late 50s Carol's in her 60s and compared to them he's kind of a pretty boy because I don't know I guess he still had all of his teeth and huh. you know but I mean he's an average looking guy I mean for this older woman. Yeah, he's he's a good-looking guy for someone to catch, sure. <laughs> the airport is about a half an hour from Carol's house, and on the way home, there is no lull in the conversation. It seems I have a lot of questions about my life to answer. Do I have a boyfriend? Am I going to school? Where do I work? What kind of burrito do I want? I work in a bunch of junk shops and sell antiques, I tell them. Bob thinks this is wonderful, and I try not to leave out any details, despite the warm Taco Bell bags now distracting me in the back seat. So there's something I want to ask you about, 
Bob puts his arm around Carol's driver's seat and hums for a minute. Your dad tells me you're a real entertainer. He says you can carry a tune like it's not even heavy. Is that true? Well, I don't know about that. Don't be modest. Listen, I know your dad's full of BS, but I can tell just by looking at you that he's not exaggerating on this one. I have to crack up at the fact that Bob says my dad's a bullshitter. He's really not, but he respects a man who can call him one. The two of them probably hit each other with one-liner insults all day, and this reinforces the fact that Arizona was probably a good move for the old man. Oh, and hey, Bob turns from the front passenger seat so he can really see my face. I just want you to know that, well, your father never sits in that chair of his bad-mouthing your mother. At least he's never bad-mouthed her in front of me. Not once. This statement really hits home, even though I'm thousands of miles away from it. There's a warm, tingling pause from our banter until Carol cuts it with her throat, her hands slamming the steering wheel. It's my damn chair, and after Jim goes, I'm going to have to throw it off a cliff to get rid of its awful smell and indentations. Carol interjects this with a sourness that almost instantly gives my mouth a canker sore. I look out the passenger window. Your father is a good man, Michelle, but he needs a haircut, and he needs a shower, and you'll see. We are silent in the car, and I feel butterflies in my stomach, the painful kind. It's been just over a month since he left. Could he really be that much worse? Aw, oh, Carol's just putting you on. Your dad just needs a clean shave is all. That mustache of his is starting to make him look like a walrus. But who am I to talk? He says that if he's the walrus, then I'm the egg sandwich man. I smile at Bob's neutralizing remark, lit only by the Arizona street lamps in the heat of the night. My dad has always been a night owl. He's wide awake watching Dirty Harry movies when we arrive to Carol's condo just a little after one in the morning. Ah, there's my girl, he says. I walk over to Dad in his chair and swoop down to hug them both. What is your father looking like at this point? There was a lot of conversation about uh, his appearance, but now you're actually seeing it. So what are we dealing with? He always had very thick hair. So his hair is not receding or anything like that, but it's very long and unmaintained. It's kind of almost shoulder length and it's it's not salt and pepper, I wouldn't say, but it's a lot of a dull grayish brown and he always had really nice dirty blonde hair. So, um, but he doesn't look, I mean, I guess he, he looks kind of drained and he's like a medium sized guy. So he doesn't look shriveled up or anything, but drained, I guess would be the best way to say. And is it a lot worse than when you dropped him off? Is, is there, do you notice a significant decline? Not really at that time because, like I said, when I dropped him off, he was in a wheelchair. So that just sort of added to the drama of it all. And seeing him in a wheelchair was so out of place. Now he's in a lazy boy, which is a different kind of chair. <laughs> but he's totally not getting totally up. Totally different. It's lazy nonetheless. And are you, when you see him, is it like, oh, oh God, like he's really sick like 
what's the what's the reaction really? No, I guess it was just like he's in Arizona, but he looked the same and I just knew he probably wasn't going to come back, but not because he looked like he was on his deathbed. It was just like, I can't imagine him coming all the way back. And for what reason? I mean, he talked about getting his own apartment and taking me to the Grand Canyon. And I knew all these things weren't going to happen just because he never did those kind of things anyway. Did they take you for tacos? He looks at my soggy carryout bag and I nod. Nom, nom, nom. And he didn't pick any up for me. Dad lives for midnight snacks. Sure we did. Got you a greasy burrito, Jim. Think fast. Bob makes the motion that he's going to fling a loaded burrito my dad's way. Dad slightly cowers at the thought of heavy beef being thrown at him. I cower because I know he isn't strong enough to catch it. Come on, Jim. Eat up. Bob only shakes his head and lightly tosses it on Dad's lap so we can all breathe a little easier. You're a real wise guy, Bob. You act like you could aim a burrito if you wanted to. Fat chance. The only fat chance you're going to get is in your ass after you eat that load of garbage. Bob is quick, but Dad is quicker. How about a fat lip if you don't shut it? My eyes widen, and Dad rattles his chair. Within a minute, we're all laughing. Dad was in the army before I was born, and I imagine that it's wisecracks like these that keep him afloat, even in the trenches. Bob and I lay out our food on the kitchen table, which is just behind Dad in his chair. He doesn't get up to sit with us, but I'm not insulted. The lazy boy isn't on wheels, so I have to talk to the back of its cozy structure and the very tippy-top of Dad's thick head of hair. Bob and Dad are cracking jokes left and right, but Dad occasionally shushes us when an intense, dirty, hairy scene plays out. How can I hear Clint deliver his badass lines when I got you two chipmunks squeaking over there? It's a good mood all around. After I eat my last taco, Carol announces that it's time to show me to the guest room so I can unpack and we can all get some rest. My temporary bedroom has a daybed with an Arizona desert scene hanging above it. There's a desk with an early Apple computer and a pile of oxygen tanks for my dad. The tanks look like missiles, and I feel like they might blow the house up as I sleep, but I don't think they would kill me. After all, they are the last things keeping my dad alive. I unzip my suitcase and dig for my pajamas. I know they're in here somewhere. I have a strict nightly routine. I put my pajama pants on one leg at a time, and I scrub my face after I brush my teeth. I'm in a foreign place, but I've brought enough toiletries to make me feel at ease. There's a comfort in miniature bottles of mouthwash and enough disposable razors to keep a grown man smooth for weeks. I always overpack when it comes to things like this. Two bottles of perfume and enough nail polish to open a salon. The risk with bringing too many bottles of oozy liquid and creams is that there's more of a chance for leakage. And of course, I have eucalyptus facial cleanser caked all over my makeup bag. Figures. I quietly bring myself to the bathroom and lay out all my prized travel-sized goods that got splattered in the face wash eruption. I have no one to blame but myself. From tiny to medium, small to large, I arrange my whatnots that are now covered in the beady green grain. That's a little bit obsessive-compulsive. 
So I just wanted you to talk about that. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm really not OCD, but I just remember that I had face wash that spilled all over my toiletries and I was sort of letting it bother me, even though at the moment, I think I knew I was trying to focus more on that than the situation at hand. I'd rather look through my toiletries and be like, geez, figures, this is just my life. Like I ruined this 10 bottle ten dollar bottle of face wash then think oh my dad's dying in the other room okay so it was just yeah that makes a lot more sense basically i'm gonna pay a lot of attention to these little bottles just because i've got control over these little guys i gotta take care of them you have some control over their outcome whereas like there's nothing that you can do for dad exactly it was sort of a task at hand where i could rinse off each item, lay it out, look at it, think about it. Because if I went back in the living room, I could make some more small talk, which was basically the only real talk we ever made and nothing else. I couldn't do anything about the situation. I couldn't change anything. It feels like it's almost morning, but if I'm with my dad and Bob all day tomorrow, it's a sure thing that we're all just going to want to sleep it away anyway. For now, I need to individually rinse off all my soiled toiletries and mourn the loss of an expensive face wash mistake. In the middle of all this, I decide I need to lie down for a minute before turning the sink on and going through all the mess. What a headache. I assume that everyone is almost asleep by now, even though I can still hear dirty, hairy gunshots from the television. My eyes are halfway open, and I notice that Carol and Bob's bedroom light is still on. I can see the glow from the crack underneath the door frame. I hear footsteps, and then I hear Bob. Carol, you gotta see this bathroom. I'm afraid for a moment. I guess it was rude and weird of me to scatter tarnished green items everywhere as a first impression. She's got all her stuff spread out in order. Bob is observant but I can't tell whether this translates in terms of me being a decent house guest or not. I pop out of bed, ready to explain myself, but from the angle I'm standing, I can just see Bob walking back through the short hallway that leads to his bedroom. Peering in once he's there, I see a flash of Carol's floral print moo and her hand waving him off. Bob scratches his lower back and shakes his head just before he closes the door behind him. She's a girl after my own heart. I should have known that the sandwich artist could be no less than a tender artist. I should have known that he would respect the order of my makeup bag contents just the way he respects the separation of his condiments and the little compartments that keep his lettuce and tomato in their own place. I'm terribly relieved. I take in a deep breath and decide that it's now or never. In the bathroom, I delicately run the water and let it work its clear wonders with my things. I dry everything off, and one by one, let them fall into my rinsed-out cosmetic bag. I look at my face in the mirror and realize that I'm very thankful for this moment. I can hear my dad choke a little in the living room, but I know he's all right for now. He has his oxygen tanks and television that lights up his face. Night, Dad night honey bunny 
I don't really hug or kiss my dad that much, but I always say goodnight. On this particular evening, I consider giving him a quick hug, but decide against it. Maybe I'll say some bedtime prayers instead. What stopped you there from going and at least giving your dad a squeeze? I mean, I guess I wasn't counting, but I did give him a hug when I got there. So so that's it. He got his one hug. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, I don't know what it is. And it, it sort of is heartbreaking because I can be more affectionate with my friends, but with my parents when they're like, oh, love you, Mish. I'm like, ah, leave me alone. And I don't know why there's just like a burden with parental love sometimes. And I feel guilty for that. But, you know, I, I just didn't do it. And it, it didn't have anything to do with the fact that he was kind of sick or in this apparently nasty lazy boy that has to be thrown off of a cliff. This is really just the ongoing dynamic that you'd already had with him. Yeah. I mean, you hear, he always called me honey bunny, which is like overly sweet. And, uh, we certainly had a mutual respect for each other, but I guess it's also a weird dynamic, like daughter and father. Like, I mean, I used to sit on his lap and everything and it's just like, I can't really do that anymore. I'm too big. And like, you know, I, like, I don't need to really hug you every time I leave the room. I came all the way to Arizona from Baltimore. So you know that I love you. My knees turn red against the nubby carpet in my borrowed bedroom. I test out a whisper because it isn't too frequent that I lower my voice. Shh. It sounds funny for my vocals to be so low and airy, but I like it. It feels like I'm in a library. If there is a God, I assume he can't be too impressed with my half-hearted attempt at praying. On bended knee, hands folded like a saint, and eyes turned up to a painting of Arizona desert heavens, I probably should have just given my dad a kiss goodnight. I mumble a few thankful lines and decide that even if God isn't listening, my dad might be. I would like to thank Michelle Dwyer for um, coming and recording her story and engaging in a conversation. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed it. I did. This was a very therapeutic session. I feel like I should be paying you a fee. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, People are all welcome to come and record things and um, for free. It's for free. But, uh, I want to sign off for Fictionist first. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that you come back and listen some more.